people after God, life just doesn't make much sense. It's simply not true that we have hope for life beyond this life. That choices we make now matter for eternity. That abundant life is found in following Jesus. That we were created to live in relationship with God. But before anything, you must know that hard work and caring for yourself is the way to survive. Many people I know have this philosophy. Believing in God is a crutch for weak-minded people. I refuse to believe under any circumstances that we can truly discover our destinies if we follow after God. Whether you believe it or not, this is the truth. You should know that I believe exactly the opposite. This is the truth. Whether you believe it or not, if we follow after God, we can truly discover our destinies. I refuse to believe under any circumstances that believing in God is a crutch for weak-minded people. Many people I know have this philosophy that hard work and caring for yourself is the way to survive. But before anything, you must know that we were created to live in relationship with God, that abundant life is found in following Jesus, that choices we make now matter for eternity. We have hope for life beyond this life. It's simply not true that life just doesn't make much sense when we follow after God. This is the truth. If you believe that, let me hear your hands this morning. This is the truth. How many of you know that words mean things? I said, how many of you know that words mean things? And how you choose to interpret and communicate makes all the difference in the world. We're continuing our journey through Second Peter, becoming partakers of the divine nature. And last week we talked about embracing your calling, that we are called to follow him, to pursue him, to know him, and that there are certain parts of that that are our responsibility. And Peter makes this incredible claim that if these things in chapter one be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful, in your walk, in your calling, in your ministry that God's called you to, and that we are to embrace the calling that he's placed on us. Remember, the concept is how to be partakers of the divine nature. Now, chapter two takes a little different turn. This is not a chapter that will make you run in the aisle. It's not a chapter that you're going to want to dance at the end, but hopefully it's a chapter that will get your attention and cause you to think. Because if you're going to be a partaker of the divine nature, we as a body of believers and as individual believers need to guard our lives against deception. I think charismatics are the most gullible believers on the planet. We so want to see something unique and supernatural that we'll believe almost anything. And so this morning, I'm going to have to deal with some little, a little more difficult subject and not one that is the most inspirational perhaps, but it is tremendously necessary in our generation to not just deal with those things that make us shout, but to also deal with those things that will keep us safe. And sometimes you have to look at that side of the equation. You say, well, how big a deal is this whole thing against deception? Well, it's so big that in Matthew chapter 7, in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, 
Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. What's he warning of us of? People that look good on the outside and will get you to believe in them when on the inside they want to destroy your life. In Matthew 24, it gives us this warning, and many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. Later in the same chapter, for there shall arise false prophets and false Christs, and they shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, for such, these deceivers, are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes, And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privately despite our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. They're those that preach a message that will destroy you. And then in that same book in Galatians, he makes this amazing declaration. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And that word cursed means eternally damned. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than this gospel which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. If they were concerned about it in the beginning of the church age, warning about the end of the church age, I believe it's a message that we need to heed, pay attention to today, and guard our hearts. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 2, I don't want to spend time in all of the negative descriptions. You can read those, and we will highlight those. But there are some nuggets in there that will help us measure what's happening around us and protect ourselves from being deceived. And the first is this. In the first three verses of 2 Peter chapter 2, which relates to the video you just saw, trust that God's word is true. You have to trust that God's word is true. It gets spun in so many ways today. False prophets and teachers have always been and will always be with us. You need to know that and be prepared for it. And so I I just want to challenge you for a minute Do you know of any false prophets? Do you know of any false teachers? And if the answer to that is no, then I'm saying to you, you're not being very discerning. If you can't identify somebody that's preaching a false gospel, you're eating at too broad a banqueting table. How many are hearing me this morning? It's not anti-Christ to identify anti-Christ. It's not anti-faith to identify people who are anti-faith. It is godly and righteous to identify those who are preaching a false gospel. And Paul said to mark those that cause division among you. There is a time to call people out. There is a time to identify them. In the book of Galatians, when Peter was playing the role of a, a hypocrite, Paul calls him out by name in front of everyone because there's not room for that in the kingdom. Over the years, I've watched people that I've trusted shift to another gospel. When I was doing young adult ministry, we're using um, materials by a man named Rob Bell. How many of you remember the name Rob Bell? Anyone in the house remember Rob Bell? Rob Bell had some great material, I thought, some great ideas. 
In fact, he preached a message, wrote a book about hell that really challenged me. And it was this. If the concept was this, if you need to know that people are going to hell to be happy about Jesus, there's something wrong with your faith. And I get what he meant by that at that juncture. We should never rejoice over hell. We should never be glad people are going there. We should never celebrate that. That should never give us self-worth. But the reality is, if everything is heaven, then nothing is heaven. And if there isn't a hell, then there is no heaven. There has to be a distinction between those. And I watched Rob Bell move from a well-respected evangelical to an outcast heretic when he became a universalist and preaches today that there is no hell and God will reconcile all things to himself and everyone's going to heaven. That's heresy. And his name is Rob Bell. How many of you are old enough to remember Carmen? Carmen went to a church called Higher Dimensions who was pastored by a man that I highly respected, Carlton Pearson. Carlton Pearson could preach like nobody I'd ever heard. He was fiery, he had depth, and he had, um, uh, he, he had a way of handling the scriptures that I loved to listen to. And Carmen chose that church to be his church and Carlton Pearson to be his pastor. And then you watch as popularity grew... And Carlton Pearson got involved in the political landscape that his positions began to change. And I'll never forget his declaration. He said, I am not gay, but if I were gay, there would be nothing to be ashamed of. Now, I'm not saying that gay people need to be ashamed, but I'm saying to you that he went on from there to endorse gay marriage as biblically supported, and there isn't any way under God you can do that. You can, I, and I just, I believe that people in gay lifestyles should be protected by the law. I don't believe they should be persecuted or abused. I'm not on that channel, but I'm telling you, there is only one form of sexuality that God ordains. One man, one woman committed to each other for the rest of their lives. That's what God has ordained, and anything outside of that is wrong. So would it surprise you that if you begin to endorse the gay lifestyle and you begin to endorse gay marriage that you would also become a universalist because it's easier and begin to say, well, I just think everybody's going to go to heaven because God will reconcile all things to himself. Yes, he will. He will by those who choose to reject his provision go to hell and those who receive his provision go to heaven, but everybody's not going to make it to heaven. And Carlton Pearson is a heretic today. There's another one that I keep hearing people talk about and read about. And her name is um, Kat Kerr. Kat Kerr is a heretic. Borderline blasphemer. Believes that God has a warehouse in heaven of body parts. And if you need one, he'll send one to you. Believes that babies who die... Um, pre-born babies who die that God takes their spirit back to heaven and if you have another child we'll take that same spirit and put it in the next child what do you call that you call that reincarnation that's not a biblical position to hold at all let's understand that there have been and always will be false teachers among us and the church has to have enough discernment to say that is wrong 
and we are not going to abide it in the kingdom of God. You have to trust that the word of God is true. So look at verse 2 of chapter 2. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Now that phrase is vitally important to believers. He doesn't say we'll bring the teaching of truth into disrepute. He says they will bring the way of truth into disrepute. That word way is a specific one that talks about a way of living, that talks about, uh, the word actually means a journey. Those who are walking the way of truth, there is a way of truth, and there are many in this world that want it disrespected and disreputed because it has to do not just with what you believe, but with the way you live. Do you know in the early church, the disciples were called followers of the way? Do you know that the Bible tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? John replied in identifying who he was, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. That what do we believe? We don't believe it's enough for you to be intellectually correct. We don't believe it's enough for you to believe the right things. We believe that when you believe it here, you need to experience it here, and it needs to affect your feet. You got to walk in the way. Come on, help me this morning. It isn't enough to believe it. You have to live it and walk in it. And the world hates that. If there's anything the world hates more, more than a hypocrite, it's someone who lives out their convictions. Depraved conduct, destruction and damnation follow them. Many will follow their depraved conduct and lead them in a way that isn't right. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 30 verse 20 and 21 says. Although the Lord, talking about the judgment that Israel was under... Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. Now listen, why did they go into Babylon? Why did they go into suffering? Why did God give them the bread of adversity and the water of affliction? So that their teachers would be hidden no more. One of the best things that can happen to purify the church is not prosperity, but it's persecution. And I'm not looking for it. I'm not asking for it. But when the heat rises in the way it's described in Scripture in the end of time, you'll find the snowflakes and the cupcakes drift off by the way. You'll find that consumer Christianity won't exist. You'll only find those who are walking in the way, living in the truth that will continue in their relationship with God. And he is saying that the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more with your own eyes eyes you will see them whether you turn to the right or to the left your ears will hear a voice behind you saying this is the way walk in it now watch this he doesn't say follow your eyes he says follow your ears that we walk by faith and not by sight you can't walk following Jesus by what you see to the right or to the left you have to listen to a voice that's behind you, the voice of the Spirit of God that is encouraging you and motivating you. And when you hear that voice saying, this is the way, walk in it, stay in that way. Keep walking on that road. Don't veer to the right or the left by what you see, but continue walking in truth. When I was a youth pastor, yes, my memory does go back that far. It was in the late 1800s. 
I wanted to illustrate this to our students. And we had a, a plank, like a two by 10. And any one of you, I think, probably most of you, would be able to walk on a 10 foot, two by 10 on the ground, right? I mean, it's 10 inches wide. You could do that. Well, we had them start to walk and told the rest of the students, you can do anything except touch them. You can yell at them, you can wave at them, you can jump up and down, you can do anything you want, except you can't touch them. And I would say two-thirds or three-fourths of the students, with all of the noise and the disruption and the distraction, would step off the side and stumble because they were relying on what they saw to get to the end. But if they were blindfolded and listened to a voice, they weren't nearly as distracted. They could make it to the end. My point to you this morning is God tells us to develop ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church, not eyes to see what's, in, what's happening in the culture. Give us ears to hear what he's saying. And how do we develop that? In the Word of God. For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If you want to hear him and know him, you have to trust. You have to trust. You have to trust that the Word of God is true and learn to hear the Spirit of God speaking in your spirit that you not be misled or led astray truth is a way of life when we talked in uh, chapter one I was talking with pastor Larry there's a word there there are two words for knowledge in Greek there's oida which means the study of something and then there's gnosko and epigonosko which means that you study with a relationship to the object in other words I'd illustrate it this way it's one thing for me to study about trucks in general. It's another thing to study about a truck I'm going to buy. Hello? It's one thing to study about apples altogether. It's another thing if I want to plant an apple tree, I have a relationship with that. It's a relational kind of knowledge, something you're invested in. It's experiential at its core. And chapter one isn't about oida, a general knowledge of things, but gnosko, an overarching knowledge in relationship, because it isn't, again, a head knowledge. It is a way of life, walking in relationship with the object of your study. And when we study Jesus, we need to walk with him. Hello? Now, here's how you can tell. In their greed, <laughs> false teachers are always motivated by greed. Forgive me for saying this, but pastors who are concerned mostly by seats in the chairs and money in the offering are motivated by greed. That can't be our motivator. It has to be men, women, boys, and girls coming to faith in Christ. It has to be people growing and deepening in their faith, walking in the way. For what good does it do a church if the room is full and the bank account is fat if nobody is finding Jesus? Come on, is anybody with me this morning? It has to be up more than greed and temporal gain and what we get out of it. It has to be that there are more people walking in the way of truth today than there was a year ago, and we're helping people stay in the way of truth. 
These people are motivated by greed and will exploit you with fabricated stories. We are so gullible with fabricated stories. We will believe almost anything. So I'm going to, my wife doesn't like this illustration. You might have caught on. There are a few that she puts a yellow light beside, like you need to be careful with this one. But when we first went to Ames, I was preaching at a fellowship meeting. Does any of you remember? Does any of you? What kind of English is that? Do any of you remember the old fellowship meetings? Anyone remember what those were? Those were such fun times. We'd go in the afternoon, someone would preach. Then we'd have a meal together and someone would preach in the evening. They used to have like two or three days way back in the day. And so I was invited to preach the afternoon session at a fellowship meeting. And I was trying my best to talk about how People fabricate, false teachers fabricate stories. Okay, how many are with me? So I call out a guy on the front row and I said, I haven't, he was about 40 years old. I said, you and I haven't talked before the service. He said, no, sir, we haven't. And you've not revealed to me any of your medical history. And he said, no, sir, we haven't. He was a friend of mine. I mean, I knew the guy, but both of those were true. And I said, well, it's just been revealed to me. I was being real careful not to use the name of God and blaspheme. But I just said, it's been revealed to me that you have a heart of a 90-year-old and you're about to die. Now, be healed. Now, you have a heart of a 40-year-old. I said, you can do that if there's not a doctor present. You can do that if there's no accountability. It's easy to create a miracle when you can make it appear a miracle. We call it sleight of hand. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I thought it was abundantly clear. I thought it was abundantly clear what I was doing. We're going to the meal, and one of the guys in the church asked the pastor for a phone. It was that far ago. Do you remember when phones had a cord attached to them so you could find them? He called his wife and he said, Honey, you should have been here for this afternoon service. I've never seen anything like it. The the pastor that was preaching just gave a man a new heart. I should have taken an offering and written a book and started telling people how I gave a man a new heart because I'd had a witness to testify to it when none of it was true. I'm just saying to you, They have fabricated stories. I talked to an evangelist who had a story about how he was a man of the streets and what a thug he was. And then to reinforce his story, he thought, nobody believes me. So he got a couple sleeve tattoos to make it look like if you have to have a sleeve tattoo put on after the fact, you probably weren't what you said you were before the fact. Is anybody with me right now? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, let's not be so gullible. Let's understand there's a way of truth. Understand that there are people out there in the way of truth that, that, are, are, that are trying to bring disrepute by fabricated stories. To illustrate that, I won't take that this time, but I gave my testimony in Ames once. I told people I used to smoke grass. You did? Yeah, there were grass clippings wrapped in toilet paper that burned my finger and I never did it again. I was a kid trying to figure out why people were smoking grass. (laughs) I told people I had a drug problem. 
I use drugs on a regular basis. It's called Tylenol. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They're fabricated stories. You can say anything you want. And there's a well-known evangelist whom I won't name, but preached such an aggressive healing message that when their child got sick, their two-year-old got desperately sick and needed to go to the emergency room that the wife put on a scarf, a wig, and a disguise for fear someone would recognize her taking their child to the emergency room. And that was one of ours. That was one of our, our evangelists. I'm not trying to be mean this morning. I'm trying to wake you up and say, if we're going to be partakers of the divine nature, you have to understand there is a way of truth. And if there is a way of truth, there's also a way of untruth. And there are greedy people who fabricate stories to sell books and travel that we gobble right up and send them money and lick up the slop at their feet and are unaware what it's doing to us. They're trying to manipulate us. And you have to be really, really careful that you know that you put your faith in, that you trust that God's word is true. I'm going to go one more step here. How many of you have heard me say I enjoy watching crime shows? Three of you have heard that. Well, I do. I like law. I shouldn't say crime, but law shows. And I like them because in an hour, you can solve the mystery and the Joker's in jail. I'm just, where else does that happen in an hour? It's so incredible. But one of the things that comes up on a regular basis, now watch this, watch this close. That if you have evidence of a crime, you have to show a direct link between the evidence you found and the person you suspect. I can't tell you how many shows. Well, we know who did it, but we can't prove it. We think we know who did it, but we can't prove it. And we have this evidence, and it would seem to point to so-and-so, but there's no direct link. Keep that in mind when you listen to someone preach or teach. There has to be a direct link to the word of God. It doesn't matter what they think or what they know or what vision they had or what dream they've experienced. We have to know that the word of God is true and what they say has to be based not on their opinion or a commentator, but what does the word of God say? And anchor to the book anchor to the book you have to know that the word of God is true second or you have to trust that the word of God is true second and this isn't fun you have to know that God's judgment is certain verses four to six tell us that there are times that God does not spare look God didn't spare the angels in heaven that rebelled against him putting them in chains of darkness to be held in judgment. He didn't spare the ancient world, but brought a flood on its ungodly people. He didn't spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's saying to us that God does not spare. We don't talk about that very much anymore, but we're living in a world where nothing is wrong and everything is right. And if you point out something that is wrong, you are narrow-minded. You don't believe in tolerance. You're a bigot. There's something wrong with you narrow-minded, conservative evangelicals. And I'm telling you, there are just some things that are absolutely true and some things that are absolutely wrong. And we need to own that again. 
Here's what I'd love to do with someone who believes in that there is no absolute truth. Let me get an absolute gun. Let me absolutely load it. Let me absolutely take the safety off. And if there's no absolute truth and you believe it won't hurt you, put it to your temple and pull the trigger. You'll be absolutely dead. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Some things are absolutely true. The soul that sins, it shall die. This isn't about my preference. This isn't about a religion. This is about things that will separate you from God and destroy you. I can believe all I want to that my truck will drive on water. And when I try that, it will destroy it no matter what I believe. I can believe that my truck will run on water and fill the gas tank and ruin the engine. It doesn't matter what I believe. It matters what is true. And there are some things that you do that will kill you. You don't make poison less dangerous by diminishing its toxicity. It's just a little poison. No, the more you diminish the toxicity, the more dangerous you make it to the consumer. This won't hurt you. And if it's toxic, it can kill you. Come on, are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? Taking the label poison off doesn't make it safe. I watched a video where they tried to illustrate this with the parable of the red balloon. And this gal is holding a red balloon and she shows it to someone and says, how do you like my red balloon? Well, it's not red, it's green. Someone else comes up and says, that's a beautiful blue balloon. And then when the one gal stands by the guy who says green, <coughs> says it's green, by blue, says it's blue, talks to someone else and says, what color is it? And this guy says, well, I'm colorblind. Oh, ask someone else, well, I only see black and white. <coughs> and then they're talking and the guy says, well, my mother taught me that that color is blue. And she said, it doesn't matter what your mother taught you. What matters is true. This is a red balloon. And then the other guy says, why are you insulting his mom? Come on now, someone say amen. That's the world we're living in. Because it gets away from the issue to become personal, to have this ongoing debate. And you can talk about the philosophy of color and light reflecting and what, co what colors are real or what aren't. Listen, there just comes a point. Um, this shirt is blue and you're not going to convince me otherwise. There are some things that are just true. What is true is heaven is real. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. What is real is hell. And we have more taught in the gospels about hell than we do about heaven. And you have to understand, God is not going to spare those that do the wrong things. And if you talk to most people, I've never talked to anyone who would say, well, I think Hitler should go to heaven. I did a little research this past week about the pagan nations in the Old Testament. And sometimes it comes up, why did they all have to be destroyed? When you understand how vile they were. Do you know what they would do with their babies to appease their gods? They would build a, gra a brass god, build a fire underneath its arms. And when those brass arms were red hot, they would lay their baby in those brass arms and watch it burn to death. It's possible to become irredeemable unredeemable and when you look at what was happening in those pagan nations you know how they punished the people they captured it was common in that day 
not to fillet, but to flay the skin off someone while they were alive. One of the most excruciating ways to kill someone was to begin with a knife to peel the skin off them while they're alive. And if they'd pass out, revive them and begin it again. Some people can be unconscionable. They can be, they can be past being reached by the presence of God and God established for that judgment and responsibility. And, and there are penalties and um, consequences. God does not spare sin. Oh, are you ready? How many are ready for a little better story? But he does rescue. He doesn't spare, but he always rescues. Do you know how bad Noah's day was? The thought of every man's heart was only evil continually. They were beyond being redeemed. This creation that God had made to honor him and serve him would have been lost. It would have spread to the whole world and they'd rejected God entirely. But God said to Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness for 600 years without a convert outside of his household, I'm going to rescue you. You're going to build an ark. And when it came time for the flood to come, Noah didn't shut the door. God shut the door to keep the evil on the outside and the redeemable on the inside. He rescues his own. All they had to do, come on, you say, well, what an evil, cruel God. I don't know anyone that doesn't believe there should be consequence for a crime. And when you look at the story, he's preaching the whole time. All they had to do was get on the boat. They chose their fate. I've often wondered about Lot choosing to go to Sodom, and we pick on Lot. And really, he made a bad choice when Abraham let him choose because of dissension which way to go. And he looked to the well-watered plains of Sodom and took his family there. And it was a horrible, horrible place. But here's what Peter tells us that he was vexed. This righteous man was vexed by the unrighteous deeds that were around him every day. And all you've got to do, listen to me, if you want to defend Sodom and Gomorrah, just read the Old Testament accounts of what they did to their own daughters, to their own children, to one another. It was the most vile. We would want someone put away in prison for the rest of their life, if not um, implement capital punishment. It was a horrible, vile place. And one day, what did God tell Abraham if you can find a handful of righteous people I'll spare the city but there were none to be found outside of Lot's family and when they left Lot's wife looked back and judgment fell on her because she wanted to stay in Sodom but before listen to me before God judged the city he rescued Lot and his family Come on, are you hearing me? That's the God we serve. He will not spare the wicked, but he will rescue the righteous. And he always has a plan and always has a way out. And it isn't difficult. That's why I believe that Jesus will, be, will come before the great tribulation. Because he will preserve the righteous out of judgment and provide a way of escape. And he's coming back to get us. That doesn't mean we won't have persecution here. But when the wrath of God is released on this planet... The church of God will be in the presence of God, not under the wrath of God. We look forward to that day because he knows how to deliver the righteous out of temptation, out of judgment. 
He didn't spare the angels. He didn't spare the world in Noah's day. He did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah. What makes us think he will spare sin in our generation? The Bible says then that they will be paid back with harm. Now let's look at verse 10. I'm going to just walk through this. Here's who we're talking about. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority. Study a little bit about human trafficking. Study a little bit about what's happening in that sense of of corruption in our world and tell me that there shouldn't be a judgment of God that falls on men that traffic little girls in the way that they do. Do you know that in Des Moines during during, um, wrestling tournament that young boys are sold in our city for sex that are below age and you're telling me there shouldn't be consequence that everybody is worth redeeming there's some people that ought to be punished to the full extent plus of the law this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh bold and arrogant not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings in other words there are people that call devil slow slew foot make fun of demon activities be careful about those people yet angels though are stronger and powerful don't heap abuse on them These people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They're like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too shall perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. That's the principle. They've had an opportunity to respond to righteousness. There's more gospel preached in America today than anywhere in the world or any time in our history. You can't spin the dial very far, go online very far without hearing someone preaching the gospel there are churches on every street corner almost of America and people are rejecting that and still living in their ungodliness while those in Congress defend their ungodliness with laws that are ungodly I'm saying to you that this world is more corrupt than it's ever been with more gospel than it's ever had and our nation will give an account for that in the day of judgment and those who reject it will also stand before God and they will be paid back with harm as well as those who facilitate their ability to do harm. It's the reward of unrighteousness. You have to know that God's judgment is certain. You have to trust that his word is true. You have to know that judgment is certain. That ought to be a fence for us. I don't want to cross that line. How many are hearing what I'm saying? Then last, verses 17 to 22, you need to recognize that God's ways are righteous. Recognize that God's ways are righteous. 17 to 19, what do these people do? They boast a freedom that they cannot provide. There are springs without water, mist driven by a storm, blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty boastful words by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh. They entice people who are escaping from those who live in error. They promise freedom while they're slaves of depravity. Please, I hope nobody here has gone online and ordered miracle water. You don't need miracle water. You have a miracle Jesus. You don't need that. Well, I know this lady and her sister who works for a guy who knows another lady. Ordered the miracle water and they got a new home. Years ago, a friend of mine heard an evangelist say, That if you sent him $5, it was years ago, 
If you sent him $5, he would send you a wallet that would never run out of money. And my friend said, if he's got that wallet, why does he need my $5? Keep the wallet. I don't know if you've heard of this group. It's still, I looked up to see if they're still around. And this isn't necessarily a Christian group, but it captures this idea of making empty promises. How many of you have ever heard of breatharians? Anybody ever heard of a breatharian? Anybody? Well, good. <laughs> breatharians believe and teach, and they are, um, they, it's, a, it's a real group functioning in our world. Breatharians believe that a person can give up food and water altogether and live purely on prana, which they call living on light or living on air. So I went online and found a video teaching breatharianism, that you don't have to eat. If you can get your thoughts right and your heart right, you can live on the benefits of air and water. And they talk about people who have done this for several years. Huh. They don't recommend you start there. They recommend that you first become a vegetarian, then a vegan, then move to raw foods, then to fruit and liquids, and then finally prana. You replace physical food with air and light as well as metaphysical nourishment. It's a total fast for life. One of those proponents claims that he sleeps one to seven hours a week and eats only when there is no fresh air to breathe or when he can't get enough sunshine. However, one of his top assistants followed him around, <laughs> accused him of sneaking junk, room, junk food into his room. What happened was he saw his mentor slip out in the night and followed him. He went to a convenience store and bought chips, soda, and Twinkies and went back to his room and ate them. They promise a freedom that they don't possess. They promise something that isn't true. Now, one comment he made to defend himself was, I do on occasion eat orange juice and some honey, an occasional sandwich, or even a hostess Twinkie. He said, I use food the way you use medicine. For example, he says, city air and freeway smog create an imbalance that a sugary snack can help correct. I actually believe that. <laughs> I'm in. Slice of pecan pie makes every day better. Warm with some cinnamon ice cream, I'm just telling you. Hallelujah. Now, as ridiculous as that is, there are people in the Christian world making similar kinds of claims that if you just have this or you send me this money or do this, everything will come to pass. And the principle is that God's ways are righteous. The ways of the world are not. They speak empty, boastful words. But look at verse 20. It says, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are 
again entertaining the world and overcome, the end will be worse for the beginning. For it had been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness. And so God's ways, when we start with his word is true, judgment is sure, we come right back around to the ways of God then, when you watch how God functions, are righteous. It is, again, a way of righteousness. You see, he talks about the reward of Balaam. And I don't know if any of you know the story of Balaam. Does anybody know the story of Balaam? How many have heard of Balaam? How many have heard about the donkey that talked? The Bible calls it the ass that talked, but that would be too broad a question. I'm just saying, you'd have to quantify. We're talking about a donkey. If I say the word ass, some of you go every place else. We're Eastsiders. I'm talking about a donkey. Okay, are you with me? The donkey that spoke. Some of you looked at me. I saw the lights going on. I just wanted to quantify what I'm talking about. What happened? A king named um, Balak wanted Balaam to curse the people of God. And Balaam couldn't do that because God wouldn't let him. So as you read the story and interpolate what happens, Balaam instructs Balak on how to get God to curse his people. He says, bring your beautiful women. Let them intermarry with the Jewish men. And when they intermarry with the Jewish men, they will follow your gods and then God will have to judge them. And he got paid for that. I think that's the worst kind of deception. When someone who knows the truth is willing to take money to use the truth to damn the lives of others. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What a horrible place to be in. God's ways are righteous. The end does not justify the means. How you get somewhere matters. How you get to the end of that road makes a difference. The way to the destination of righteousness has to be a road that is righteous. And if you can escape corruption, you can return to corruption. Will you escape? The question is, will you return? Deception is real and powerful, but you don't have to succumb. You have to trust that God's word is true. Know that God's judgment is certain. Recognize that God's ways are righteous. And you can be protected. Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. You can be protected from deception. If you do these things, you'll never fall. I, do, I just want to clarify, if I offended you with that comment, it's the reason I use the word donkey, not the word ass that the scripture uses, because we twist words to mean other kinds of things. Does that make sense to you? We use it in ways that we shouldn't. There are other words in the King James that I, I wouldn't use at all. But the point being, it was a literal donkey that spoke to him because there wasn't a human being that would stand up for truth. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I really don't know. I prayed about the altar call. And I, would, and I want to say, those of you that are being deceived, I want you to come forward. <laughs> you know the problem with that? People who are being deceived, by definition, don't know they're being deceived. That's why the body of Christ is so important. 
because we can hold one another accountable. So here's how I'd like us to close our service. I'd like to close it this way. God, help us know the truth. Help us walk in the truth and give us a discerning spirit that will recognize error when it's in front of us. Would you join me this morning and ask God to help this be a discerning house of God. Let's stand together, please. And let's take a moment as Pastor Nathan leads us to worship God together. You stood before creation Eternity in your head You spoke the earth into motion My soul now to stand You stood before my faith I'm all sing it out church Carry shoulders my soul now to stay what can I say what can I do but offer this heart oh this morning your spirit my life to declare my life to declare my soul now to stay what can I say what can I say heart, oh God, completely to you. So I'll stand with arms
last time all I am all I am is yours Lord give us ears to hear today what the spirit would say to the church give us a discerning heart we want to be partakers of the divine nature and not run off the road by those who intend to deceive. Thank you for your spirit, the spirit of truth that will guide and direct our lives in Jesus' name. And everyone that loves him said amen. Let me hear your hands if you love Jesus this morning. If you are new to Berean, we want to connect with you. There's a connect card in the chair pocket nearby. You can fill that out and put it in the box at the back. Or you could go online and click the connect card there and do it digitally. And if you'll identify a charity, we will give a $5 donation in your name to that charity from the list that we've provided because we want to connect with you better. Consider being a part of Launchpad. It's a way for you to know more of who we are and what we're about. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Be a blessing to somebody nearby.